faster than expected. Abrupt climate change and the consequences for us and other living beings on our Earth. No one should be alone in the greatest challenge of our time. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. Here's your host, Wolfgang Werminghausen. Welcome everybody to our new Faster Than Expected podcast episode, the first worldwide episode co-hosted by Kevin Hesse, New Zealand and me, Wolfgang Werminghausen, Germany. From my position, New Zealand is on the other side of the globe. So every time I talk with Kevin, I have the impression of a worldwide connection. Kevin, Kevin Hester is living on Rakino Island, a small island near Auckland, New Zealand. He is a lifelong activist for ecology, for peace against nuclear power and weapons. And since some years, he is tireless warning the world's public about the dire consequences of the ongoing abrupt climate change. He is the living example that the assumption someone who is certain about the near-term human extinction will do nothing anymore. It's really bullshit. We can laugh about that. That's a great point. I'm glad that you have brought that up because it's important yeah. that people realize that just because we see how dire the situation is does not mean that we have given up. Yes. Wolfgang, Wolfgang and I have quite different temp temp temperaments, which you will hear, obviously. And yes, of this... This mutual podcast is a, an experiment to see how we get on in doing this uh, work together. Of course, our, our main aim is to connect with people in these dire times of collapsing biosystems. Normally, no one should be alone in, with this greatest challenge of our time. So please enjoy our talk. And uh, even though we're talking about such severe and dire subjects, let's try and keep positive about it as much as we can. For for this episode, we have the subject water. It's quite a big subject in times of abrupt climate change. Water plays a very important role. And here I have a um, headline from World Wildlife Fund about water scarcity. They have written, water covers 70% of our planet and it is easy To, to think that it will always be plentiful. However, fresh water, the stuff we drink, bath and irrigate our farm fields with, is incredibly rare. Only 3% of the world's water is fresh water and two-thirds of that is tucked away in frozen glaciers and otherwise unavailable for us, for our use. As a result, some 1.1 billion people worldwide lack access to water and a total of 2.7 billion find water scarce for at least one month of the year. At the current con consumption rate, this situation will only get worse. By 2025, two-thirds of the world's population may face water shortage and ecosystems around the world will suffer even more. I think this will uh, we will face this very quite faster, faster than expected. But it's uh, to to read this in in a text of World Wildlife Fund. Two third of the population will have 
not enough water. I think it's important for everybody when they are reading articles about timelines is to bear in mind that almost everything is taking place at a faster speed than anticipated by the IPCC or by the big conservative NGOs. We're not trying to, to scare people, but we are, what we are trying to do is stimulate a debate where people question everything. Yeah. I'll give you one example about water vapor. For every one degree C that we warm the global mean temperature, we get 7% more water vapor in the air. Water vapor is a climate, a, a greenhouse gas. If you go back to the real baseline, which should be about 1,700, we're about, according to Paul Beckwith and other um, scientists who I've been following there, we're, we're somewhere around 1.6 C above mm. baseline already. Now, that's the 1,700 baseline, not these much later dates that you often hear quoted in the media. So that means that we've already put over 10% more water vapor into the atmosphere. When we go to and through the IPCC worst-case scenarios of 6 degrees Celsius temperature rise, that's looking at another 40% water vapour in the air. That's just one of the multitude of feedback loops that we're talking about unleashing at the moment. Maybe some some may, may think 10% uh, of more water vapor sounds not so very much, but in a global scale, the thunderstorm clouds will be very, very big and and there will be heavy, heavy rains just with some percent of more water vapor. Absolutely. One perfect example of the bad and the ugly with that water vapor in the, in the air was... Cyclone Winston that decimated Fiji in 2016, but then perversely it had the amazing situation where after it had, it was the first Category 5 cyclone to ever hit Fiji. After mm. it had decimated the island, it tracked across the Coral Sea and it dumped an enormous amount of water on the Great Barrier Reef. Mm. Now, the Great Barrier Reef was suffering from what's worst ever bleaching event, which is linked to a lot of the phosphates that are uh, being washed off the, off uh, mainland Australia, but was mostly to do with this, the bleaching event was mostly to do with the ocean water being so warm as a result of the El Nino. So when Winston dumped all that water on the reef, it actually mitigated the severity of the crisis. If that water hadn't arrived, the Great Barrier Reef bleaching would have been much, much worse than uh, it, it turned out to be. Mm. And I, I think that everyone needs to be very careful. The next El Nino that we see on this planet could be a, a an absolute game changer for the whole biosphere because we are teetering at the moment now. Once we inject that extra energy from an El Nino, we're going to see a lot of repercussions. Yes, we we have to 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 say that uh, El Nino, uh, there, there's the water, the oceans are, are storing very much of this extra energy of the um, global warming, and El Nino brings it uh, into the atmosphere again. 
Absolutely. There's that's your feedback loop. Yes. For anyone who wants to know anything more about feedback loops, they can go to my website where I've got a post about feedback loops and tipping points, and it also has embedded a Professor Guy McPherson's Monster Climate Change essay, which has over six dozen positive feedback loops in it. And they ex- it'll explain to anyone how they work and how they have a, a multiplicative domino effect. As each one kicks in, they kick in others. It's a, it's the exponential unraveling that Michael Mann and his colleagues came up with in the hockey stick theory. And now mm. that all our graphs look like that, no one seems to want to talk about it anymore. Yes. Uh, we, we can have all these links in our, in the show notes on, on your and my website. Your, your website is Kevin Hester, one word dot live. My website is uh, xwer.de and you'll find those links to to other sites and to feedback loops and so on. Here you you had one exam, example uh, found in headlines uh, of the consequences of rapid changing climate and uh, extreme weather. You found a Headline of a hailstorm in Zambia and Kenya. Do you like to talk about that? When it was first announced, people thought that there was snow in Zambia and Kenya. And that would be extraordinary, except, of course, at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. That there used to be a, a substantial glacier up there. It is disappearing very quickly. But snow in those areas is unheard of. So, first of all, it was reported that it was snowing in those places, but it turns out it wasn't snowing at all. It was hailstones. But when you saw the photos, well, in the show notes, people can see the article about it. The um, the ground looks like it has been snowed on. It's it's so much water has come and fallen out of the sky. Already these extraordinary events are taking place. We, we've been so conditioned to believe that the the biosphere will be dangerous later on as uh, time goes by. But I'm firmly of the belief that we're already in dangerous, abrupt climate change. Yes, of course. Um, Today here here in Germany, here in Münster, we have rain. Um, It's quite uh, funny for for this episode with waters (laughs) here. We're having a very similar or a very extreme weather event coming up the the south and North Island as we speak. Yes. There's been a lot of snow falling on the mountains, and now they're very concerned that a lot of the, the rain that has fallen is freezing and there's a lot of ice on the road. So already there's a bit of chaos breaking out in um, mm. the southern yes, part of New Zealand. We had a quite um, dry spring here. The farmer said we maybe we have to, to bring in the harvest uh, three or four weeks earlier and uh, that will be no a very very poor harvest and uh, I, I found the headline that uh, even in, in Sweden they have really problems with uh, freshwater and grind, groundwater levels if we think of Sweden uh, we, we think of green woods and, and so on and uh, 
They, they wrote, groundwater levels are so low that the government agency believes freshwater supply in almost half of the country, and Sweden is really big, is at risk this summer. Climate change now threatens water supply in a country where access to safe water is taken for granted. And uh, it's really crazy. Maybe this is the new new normal. Absolutely, there is no normal anymore. There's there's an, another article we'll put on the show notes is about in Cape Town in South Africa, they've had to cut back on their water usage to survive the worst drought in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. This is one of the problems that we have on a, globally with industrial agriculture, and we've had this incredible population overshoot that very few people want to talk about where we have so many people on the planet we've resorted to industrial agriculture to feed them and to you know to grow food to feed them but what that is is that we've been using whether it's in in a, in a united states or whether it's in africa we've been using fossil water from aquifers and we've mm-hmm. used that as irrigation to grow this industrial food Now, that's a finite source of water, and that's running out on all of the continents. So we're heading for the perfect storm of too many people, not enough food, not enough water, and habitat disappearing quickly. Not enough is the one side. Too too much water in, in, in a short period is the other side. And you do you like to talk about the, the risk for nuclear plants of Um, food yeah, yeah. risk. Absolutely. One of the problems that we have with the, you know, the multitude of problems we have with the nuclear industry is the enormous amount of water it, it uses. Yes. When Chernobyl was built, there was a very large canal built to where the plant was, and it brought water in and out. But when when the plant blew up, that water was stopped, and it wasn't polluting the waterway in the same way that we have at Fukushima Daiichi in Japan, where they built six nuclear power stations right on the coast. It got hit by the tsunami and the loss of power, and there were three nuclear meltdowns. But in reality, all nuclear power stations are dependent on water and at risk of water. In the United States, nuclear plants are at increased risk of, of dam failure, There are 34 nuclear plants in the United States mm-hmm. which are identified in an NRC 2011 report at being at risk of flood jam- damage due to upstream dam failures. Now, we've just had a very big, I think the second largest dam in the United States, the spillway collapsed, and they had a massive problem where they had, had to evacuate the whole city that lived down below. Now, There are 34 of those mm. nuclear plants are all threatened by dams like that. It's an extraordinary situation that we've got ourselves into. Uh, and the other side is some some nuclear plants may be run dry because the the river they they need for the cooling system is dry. Well, it's the perfect storm. We have trouble keeping nuclear power stations cool. Everything is mm. going well. Yes, of course. And in sailing, we talk about the domino effect or the cascade of events 
when something goes wrong and you get a cascade of events. That's exactly what happened at Fukushima Daiichi. First of all, there was an earthquake, and then there was a tsunami, and then there was the power failure, and one thing led to another. So for for all of the people who are living anywhere new one of, near one of those 34 nuclear plants that are downstream from a dam, um, my advice for you would be to look into it carefully and make sure you're safe where you are. Mm, I, I think we, we could uh, bring lots and lots of more uh, bad news uh, in, with the subject of water, lack of water or flooding areas. I'd like to talk a little, bring a new perspective. Perspective, perspective. I don't know <laughs> the English word really. It's um, the same. Yep. I I think water is is kind of a um, subject or medium for for inner connection because everybody on on the world uh, um, has water in the own veins or. Uh, It's drinking water, it's coming out of the tap or it's raining and, and so on. And uh, here nearby, here's an example how how the use of water is uh, changed. Um, and they, they are called, uh, some some kilometers from my home, there are, there's an area called Rieselfelder. In, for, in former days, I don't know exactly when, Maybe 100 years ago, they pumped wastewater in these fields so that it could drain away and be cleaned by plants and microbes. I guess it stung like hell. Now these flat, small lakes are a nature reserve for birds. So this is an example that people are able to turn shit into gold. Yes, we, we are able sometimes. All on the background that the industrial agriculture has left nearly no place for the birds. So this area is more important than ever. And so, some birds are coming in the morning to, to the canal where I'm on tour with my dog nearly every morning. And uh, there I, in the last winter, I watched some comrades uh, fishing in the canal. Often they sat on the laterns from the water gate to dry their feathers and uh, staying there while my dog was sniffing at the trees i often thought about what's nature <clears throat> and i learned from these comrades um, who took this concrete water basin as nature as their habitat they don't see a different It's what we human, humans do to split everything into dualities, nature and culture, culture uh, human and non-human, outside and inside. <coughs> and <coughs> sorry, and Thich Nhat Hanh is a famous Buddhist master from Vietnam, um, said people usually consider walking on water or in thin air as a miracle. But I think the real miracle is not to walk either on water or in thin air, but to walk on earth. Every day we are engaged in a miracle with which we don't even recognize. A blue sky, white clouds, green leaves, the black curious eyes of a child. 
our own two eyes. All this is a miracle. I once read or heard from, from Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, to to an advice to watch your body with full awareness, for example, a hand. And if you look at your hand, uh, you see the skin and you can imagine the bones and uh, the, the sinews <clears throat> and the blood and uh, the water that is flowing in the veins once may have been um, in, in the veins of uh, another person and or has evaporated and has become a cloud. Uh, the water in, in our body may have been a cloud and then rain down on earth again. And so when we look at this like that, uh, with this perspective, we are all connected with the web, web of life. And it's it's not not so clear where my person is, is and where where the world is outside and it's uh, has no beginning or ending we are all connected well what i would interject about that is yeah. i think that what what has happened with urbanization are people have become very very removed from the natural world they get their food from a shop they get their electricity their light from a switch their water from a tap They don't get their water from a well or their light from the sky or or their food from hunting and gathering or, or, or growing things. This disconnect has made us very, very vulnerable to the ecological crisis that we're confronting because so many people are unaware that it's even happening. If they have some coins and they have a shop that functions, they can still eat and carry on like normal. But that is all going away, and I think the people who are urbanized are very unprepared for the chaos that's heading in our direction. Yes, that's right. And and we have water as a symbol or a medium to, to see and to feel the inner connection we all have uh, with each other and with nature. There's no difference between us and the nature. I lived in Central Europe for a few years. Mm. I lived in Germany and I lived in France. And what I found was it was too far away from the ocean for me to be comfortable. I was born on an island in the South Pacific. Mm. I've sailed a, a lot around the world. I did a lot of sailing out of Gibraltar and the Mediterranean. But when I'm in central in the center of continents, for some reason I feel out of my comfort zone. I really mm. need to be near that water. And I think that is a, it's, it's so integral to our survival as a species and our cohabitation with the other species that it should be treated as a sacred object. And unfortunately, humans treat, treat our water like effluent. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a good point to, to close our episode and to say goodbye to our listeners and thank you for listening. And, um, say a goodbye to New Zealand on the other side of the globe with very much water in between and with, which is connecting us in the same way. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you again, Wolfgang. And uh, if the people who like this podcast, they can let us know whether they want us, us to do more. And if they yes. have anything, in special, anything special they'd like us to investigate and talk about, we're happy to do that. Yes. 
Thank you very much and goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. Faster than expected. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. If you like my podcast, please write a comment and give me a like on SoundCloud. You'll find a link and more information on my website xwer.de slash podcast. Take care.